Trouble at mill. Oh, no. What on, sort of trouble? One on cross beams gone out of skew on treadle. I don't understand what you're saying. One of the cross beams has gone out of skew on the treadle. <laughs> what on earth does that mean? I don't know. Mr Wentworth just told me to come in here and say that there was trouble at the mill, that's all. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. Well... No one expects the Spanish Inquisition, but there is trouble at New Zealand mills, and it's complicated. Another kick in the guts for Fakatane today, with more than 200 jobs going after the town's paper mill announced plans to shut down. As the largest private employer in the Eastern Bay of Plenty, the mill is slated to close after more than 80 years. The Swiss owner, SIG, announced it would close the plant. The mill makes specialised board packaging for some of the world's leading food brands, but its owners say it's no longer competitive internationally. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today on The Detail, I'm talking to industry leader David Turner about the distressed state of wood processing and why he thinks it's a violation. violation of our responsibility to future generations. Talks are still going on to try to find a solution in Fakatane, but this is not just about one mill and 210 jobs. Here's Carl Graydon of the Eastern Bay of Plenty's economic development agency, Toy EDA. This is a symptom of what's happening in the broader sector, and we need to find a way to crack that chestnut. It's not just central government, it's industry, it's local government, and hopefully with significant iwi involvement, given the fact that the majority of our forests are on Māori land. A few facts and figures about forestry. It's our third biggest export, according to MPI. It earns more than $6.7 billion a year. Most of our exports are in logs, and most of them go to China. And the growth has been huge. In 2008, we were sending just 1 million tonnes there. Now it's around 20 million. But at the same time, our value-add wood exports have stagnated. So I'm talking to David Turner to find out why our wood processing industry, that's the timber mills that turn logs into value-add wood, is in distress. Or put another way, why are we selling raw logs to China without turning them into something more valuable first? You're the executive director of Sequel, which is a wood processing factory in Kauaro. So yes. you are just down the road from Fakatani Board Mills, really, aren't you? About 20 minutes drive away. Yes. Are you in distress at all? We're definitely not in distress, but what I'd say is that there should be 10 businesses like Sequel in New Zealand, not one. Why um, is that? So what, what we do is we process utility-grade logs. So we're the only sawmill in New Zealand that focuses on utility-grade logs. So we're competing specifically with the same logs that go to China. In reality, the surplus wood available that we have in New Zealand is not prune logs, structural logs. It's the utility-grade log. And so we really need a processing sector in New Zealand that has the ability to take that low-grade fibre, utility-grade log, and turn it into a product. Where do your logs come from? I mean, do they come from the forest that surrounds Kauaro? Uh Yep, they all come from the central North Island. So they're cut down and they're trucked just up the road to your factory? Correct. Which, you know, which makes so much more sense and I think people find it really hard to understand that the majority of our trees are cut down, trucked over or sent by Kiwi Rail to one of the ports, then shipped over. The logs, you know, the raw material is shipped to mostly China. 80% China. 80% China. 
then made into whatever it is, perhaps cut down to decking um, timber and then shipped back here because it's cheaper for us to buy that decking timber that's made in China than it is for a factory here to do it. What you described is probably almost true, except for the fact that probably very little of the logs that are going to China are coming back here, to be honest, as timber. Uh. Uh, the more likely scenario is that they're using Chilean pine to make a product and sending that product to us. Oh, that's even crazier in a way. Yeah, so the, the timber would be processed in Chile, sent to China, remanned there, sent in inland four or six hours, sent back to the port four to six hours, containerized and sent back. Most of our wood, I'd say that between 55, 60% of the logs that you see are used in very, very low applications, low value applications. They're used for concrete formwork in the construction sector in China. And then at the end of, you know, three to five uses of that formwork, they'll be burnt, they'll be destroyed. So the other 30% is probably used in plywood and then the balance would be used in some of the applications you're talking about. See, the problem is for a New Zealand log that's sent to China is that it's going to get sap stain, it's going to deteriorate. So from the moment you cut a tree down, you're going to have deterioration, and that deterioration means that the utilisation of that product is relatively low value. And so that's the challenge for New Zealand because the brand for our wood globally is that it's low value. Mm. And we're not doing anything to transform the, the, the perception of that. What is different about you? I think there's two things that make us different to other wood processors. Firstly, we're a family business. We're owned by four Bay of Pliny families who are really passionate about our region and we feel a great sense of responsibility to our region. And so for us, uh, returns are important, but they're not everything. And I would say the second thing is that in our quest to transform our industry, the wood processing industry, we've had to embark on a journey and that's led us towards a business model which focuses on mass customisation. In other words, producing what the customer wants in bulk. Sequel, which employs 80 people, is a primary producer. That means it takes timber cut from nearby forests and processes it for customers in 20 countries. They're the secondary producers. They turn it into the finished product, like furniture. For example, one of Sequel's customers makes IKEA furniture from the timber processed at its Kawaro mill. Which comes back to the question, why are we abandoning a sector that supplies jobs, keeps the forestry industry alive and contributes more to the economy? At its root cause, it comes down to policy settings. While I would say that we're doing well, I wouldn't classify us as a great success story. I'd say that it's a really challenging industry to be involved in and it's, it's required us to, to be really dynamic, nimble and selfless as investors in the process of developing this business. If you were only looking for financial return, you wouldn't do what we've done. So the reason why we've been able to grow and succeed is because as a group of shareholders, we're motivated by more than um, shareholder return. So the, the policy settings all sit around a range of different things, but at its core, the fact that we operate in New Zealand within an environment of policy disadvantage. And there's multiple facets to that, but, but ultimately it rests on the distortion that exists in the log trade in New Zealand. 
There's that phrase again, distortion in the log trade. The argument is that China prefers logs to process wood because it wants to create jobs and factories for its own people. So it offers VAT rebates, subsidised energy and electricity and more. Here's how Turner explains it. My observation of New Zealand bureaucracy is that we're basically sending checkers players to the global chess tournament. And our checkers players are playing a certain to certain rules, believing them to be true and in the best for New Zealand. But it's a different game. And so that other game is about the different motivators and drivers. So our team is motivated by an ideology. The other team is motivated by some outcomes. Are you saying that most of our logs are going to China as raw material and that China is able to process those logs into something and then sell them on because China's government invests a lot into the factories, the people, whereas in New Zealand there is no real investment by the government. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, I'd say it's it's even more than that. It's, it's, it's what you've described, but I would say at an even high level it's... it's China's operating strategically, we're operating very transactionally. So there are a number of benefits to process a New Zealand log in China. New Zealand is the only, pretty much the only country in the world now that um, has, allows unfettered access to your logs. So the first way that China enables more demand for raw materials versus value add is in their VAT rebates, VAT differentials, so using their that system to encourage domestic importation of raw materials rather than value-add goods. And then there's a lot of domestic subsidisation that takes place. So there's the VAT rebates that we've talked about, but there's also electricity benefits, logistics benefits. You know, one of our customers is based about four hours drive out of Charmin. And I said to them, how on earth can you, you know, manage to get our product all the way into central China and then all the way back to New Zealand and be competitive. And they said, oh, it's all of our transport's free. And that's what we're up against in a market that we're so hugely dependent on. But Turner says the one thing that's most difficult for the New Zealand sector to get its head around is this. The differential between the retail price and the wholesale price of logs in China, which has emerged over the last few years. And that is, is that, you know, the wholesale price that we get set against has been above the retail price that those logs are sold for for quite some time. And that varies quite wildly. So it could at times be up to 20 US dollars a tonne cheaper in China than the wholesale price. Hang on, so I, I just need to sort of figure that out. Can you explain that to me again? Yeah, so if you pay $100 for a log in the wholesale market, it's then sold for $90 in market. So the wholesaler is losing money on the log? Correct. And who is the wholesaler? Well, increasingly it's Chinese state-backed wholesalers. Oh, I see. So they're absorbing the, the loss? Well, they would argue that they're just losing money, but certainly there's a large range of views as to who, who's funding these losses and why they're happening, but there's what there is unanimous view of is that these losses are occurring. So the, whole, the differential between the wholesale and the retail price for logs is very real 
and it has a significant impact on New Zealand because New Zealand processes are benchmarked against the wholesale sale price, not the retail price in China. And Turner says that's a big risk to our forestry industry as China gets wealthier as people want to buy things, but New Zealand isn't making them. We're going to see this preference shift in China towards higher value product as they transition their economy, which is their stated goal. And as they do that, they won't demand logs anymore, they'll demand products. And we've destroyed our product capability here. And I think the second piece is recognition that China's stated goal is to be fibre self-sufficient by 2035. So they closed their own forests in 2015. They've set themselves some significant environmental objectives. And so they've, they've embarked on a very planned process which sees them have sufficient sequestration domestically in China and fibre self-sufficiency by 2035. So where does that leave us as a country, when you think about this moment in time where we've got highly distorted demand and prices as a consequence, a domestic industry that can't compete globally as a function of the fact that they're not buying logs at a market price, they're buying it at a distorted price. And then as they continue to struggle by 2035, so we're embarking on a real journey ourselves as a country around using trees as a form of carbon sequestration to deliver our own objectives under the Paris Accord and um, our Carbon Neutral 2050 Act. So with trees such a big part of our, of our strategy, our ability to transform those trees or turn those trees into a product must be central to the strategy in my mind. The government's working on a multi-million dollar rescue package for West Coast sawmills. Industry sources say the West Coast timber industry is simply dying as it runs out of wood. Three sawmills have closed this year, costing nearly 80 jobs, and more sawmills are threatened. I believe the West Coast sawmilling industry for decades now has been treated abysmally. Wayne Coffey says in general it is high noon for the whole industry and only the strong players will survive. Wood processors have been warning for some years that offshore companies are buying up entire forests. The industry says log supply in Northland is projected to halve from almost 5 million to just under 2.5 million tonnes in the next six years, triggering mill closures and job losses. Unless we make some changes, we're going to have a lot of plants, a lot of communities and a lot of jobs lost as we move through the next decade because the wood's just not going to be there for us. And unless we get some political intervention and change, I think Northland's going to suffer hugely. But we mustn't lose sight whilst we're thinking long term about what we do immediately. And that's a problem that's acute in Northland and increasing elsewhere in the country. I feel like I've been reporting on this story about the wood processing industry and the progressive government's promising to do something about it to boost the industry, to create more value-added processing in New Zealand and yet it hasn't really happened. It's never happened and they talk about it a lot and I talk about it a lot with them and every time I talk about it with them they leave me with this great sense of hope. One of my meetings a couple of years ago I left the beehive absolutely certain that change was imminent but two years on we have managed to get a couple of reports and um, some trips to China but uh, no real change. So There are so many simple things that we do in this country that are um, difficult for us all to understand. Just simple things like looking at our own supply chain costs. So 
you know, for me to use Kiwi Rail from Kawarau to the Port of Tauranga is materially more expensive for the same service than it does is for logs. So why would Kiwi Rail ostensibly subsidise raw material exports? Hmm. It's very difficult for anyone outside of probably Kiwi Rail to understand that. Um, and certainly if you go to another country, the idea that a state and enterprise would differentially price in the favour of a raw material would be considered absurd. So what needs to happen here? I mean, is it all about more subsidies for operators here? The easy thing to say is, you know, there's one thing, but there's not. My catchphrase is that when, when you manage a plant or you manage a business, people always want to know what the silver bullet was and how you changed things, how you turned it around. And I always liken it to a, um, a hose, a coiled hose, and it has lots and lots of kinks in it, but it's only until you get the final kink out that the water starts to really flow. And so so it is with the wood products industry. There's lots of little things that make a big difference in their entirety. So, look, I think the first thing is to recognise that our trade in logs is highly distorted. That was confirmed by an independent study commissioned by MFAT, which was released in November 2019, which showed as one of the most distorted markets that they've identified. So how we then go about offsetting that distortion is a question that becomes the strategic part of who we are as a nation, what we value and how we integrate with the rest of the world. And, you know, um, the answer to power trade policies and mercantilism isn't to adopt their policies. We should never abandon the ideals that we hold with free trade. So we need to do multiple things. One of the things that we need to do is we need to better lever our relationship with China. So our notion of Guangxi, we have very strong Guangxi with China. What exactly is Guangxi? And what makes this Chinese phrase so special that it got included in the Oxford Dictionary? While it is commonly translated as connection or compared to the idea of networking in Western culture, Guanxi entails much more about how individuals, businesses, and a government interact and function in the Chinese society. Everything in China is related to trust and related to Guanxi, which is interpersonal connections. Uh, might be politically linked, or maybe um, to do with a, a local business uh, communities where you know, they have developed a long-term Guanxi relationship in the past. We were the first country in the world to give them market status under the WTO. There are a number of firsts that New Zealand and China share, but we need to make sure that that relationship is actually in our, each of our best interests. And we know that for a number of reasons, if both New Zealand and China move towards our comparative advantage in the wood product sector, the individuals within both countries would be better off. So. New Zealand needs to focus on primary processing. China needs to focus on secondary processing. Primary processing is energy intensive and capital intensive. It is not labor intensive. We've got a small amount of people, but we've got renewable energy. In China, they've got a lot of people and they've got very expensive energy with energy issues around sustainability. So secondary processing is much better placed there in their economy um, because they've got the people that can handle a labour-intensive process, which secondary processing is. The second thing, though, is we need to make some significant changes internally. So we need to think about how we can internally offset the degree of distortion that exists today. And 
the government's currently pursuing a process called industry transformation, and they have a blueprint of how they can do this in a way which is really consistent with our international obligations and is really consistent with maintaining strong relationships with all our trade partners, but ensures that our domestic industry is operating free of distortion. So the challenge for us is to see whether they actually have the strategic impetus to actually implement those changes. It's a gloomy picture that Turner paints, a diminishing demand in China for our logs and a dying processing sector. That's why he calls it... The violation of our responsibility to future generations. I can't conceive of a more egregious heritage that I could leave future generations than to say that we've lumbered you with a massive debt because we had a pandemic and we all wanted to be down sipping flat whites at the Strand. But we also didn't pass you any meaningful industry that you could actually trade your way out of that debt that we created for you. And so for me, that is a violation of our responsibility to future generations. What's your feeling? Are we going to see more closures like the Fakatani board mills or are we going to see a turnaround? Look, I, I think in some product spaces, there's going to be more closures. There's some business-specific issues that reflect that business or that product. More broadly speaking, I think right now the mix at, at a sawmilling level, you've seen a significant amount of closures. You might see a little bit more uh, given the status quo, but the real issues are going to start to emerge in another five years or so, I suspect. So what I would say categorically, though, is the money that this government spends on trying to attract investment, because they have this delusional idea that we'll be able to attract foreign capital because the fundamental issue is lack of capital. There's no lack of capital. There's a lack of environment to make that capital efficient and successful. So the government will not be able to attract capital into that primary processing, given the status quo. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to David Turner. Matewa. Wa.